Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Slugger TV. On this episode we're going to be talking about the impact of the general election, the new talks process that has been set up at Stormont and then take a quick look at the key moments of 2019 and what to look out for in 2020. And to go through all of this we have Alan Mabin, political commentator, and we also have the political commentator Chris Donnelly. Alan, when the results came in uh, after Thursday night, you were at the Count Centre yep. uh, in Belfast. What was the mood like from yeah, from what you saw and how did it evolve throughout the night? Well, I mean, a Count Centre is a great place to be. In some ways, I think those who are stuck in TV studios and things miss out on the... In fact, people watching TV studios kind of miss out on the actual drama of the night because you have people there who are kind of losing their jobs. You have people there who are getting their jobs. Some people expecting it, some people not. And you have loads of supporters who weren't quite sure what to take. So in a sense, we had everything from what felt like a funeral nearly or in terms of the atmosphere around Nigel Dodds as he was losing North Belfast and about to lose North Belfast to John Finucane to a real feeling of euphoria and really not expect kind of pinching themselves from the SDLP round Claire Hanna's win um, her father was quite emotional as he kind of was doing the um, the tallies and in many ways just looking at their tally sheets to realise that the little box as they kind of sampled the votes um, that are being kind of counted or being verified in front of them as they sampled the, the votes they were running out of space to actually mark up the ones they saw for Claire whereas there was plenty of space for the rest and then they would just just turned the page and turned the page and you saw there was page after page after of this. So there's really quite a lot of emotion, I think, because in, in the six seats that were in the Belfast Centre, a lot of people changing, a lot of movement uh, and, and a lot of change. Mm-hmm. Well, you were there also in the Belfast Count Centre, Chris. What, what did you make of what you were seeing unfolding in front of you? Alan's right. It could be a roller coaster of emotions for the candidate, but also for those around the candidates. If you think they're on the campaign trail for weeks, some of them will almost delude themselves into thinking that they're, they're going to perform a lot better than they are. Others might, might, have, might just be cautious by nature and not think they're going to do as well as, as they end up doing it. But it's all, it all comes out over that period of time when the first, you know, when the first ballots start to be counted. And you could see, from, as, as someone just an observer, you could see the, the hive of activity around the different political party groups, those who are becoming animated, excited, those who are starting to show signs that they realise it hasn't gone their way. And I think obviously the key moments on the night, you know, there, there was the sense of buzz that uh, around John Finucane and Nigel Dodds, North Belfast, what was going to happen. And it really, I mean, it was an unknown. I think right up to, right up until the counting started, there was a sense that if this was going to, you know, go John Finucane's way, it could only be by a couple of hundred votes. And if he was going to lose, it was going to be the other way. It came as a real surprise mm-hmm. when it started to filter out that the gap was as wide as it was. Mm-hmm. And it was the same in South Belfast. You know, there had been a sense, I think, alliance people were telling you from the off at the count that they knew it wasn't going to go their way, that Claire Hannon was going to get it. But nobody could have envisaged mm-hmm. the majority, the scale of the majority that she was going to be returned with. And seeing, you know, sensing that on the night, that, you know, the, as, as Alan said, the, you know, the SDLP people, they wore it in their faces. They were so excited to let you know that, look, she's romped home. 15,000 majority, 15,401. I mean, it's a coronation. That's, that's been voted in by public acclamation. That's not winning an election. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous number in a sense um, and to see that. And I think you're right about um, North Belfast. There was a real feeling all the way through, even quite late in the count. Um, just It was still expected maybe there might be 500 in it. But actually the fact that it got to about 1,900, yeah. I mean, that, that, was a, that was a significant yeah. kind of gap. But that wasn't, you know, over three or four hours, it kind of, it's... It, it, 
grows, but yeah. it's a very slow process for that to kind of factor in. We were, it was interesting because North Belfast, we were receiving contradictory information. Back in the studio, you would see one thing that would look good for Fernukum, but then you would see another thing that would look bad for him. Yeah. And then you go back and forward, backwards and forwards. And North Belfast, it seemed to be... It seemed to take a while for that to kind of to kind of filter out to the scale of what's going to happen. Chris, I just want to ask you about North Belfast in particular, and we're going to do it in the wider context of Sinn Féin. You know, when we did up the figures and we looked at the, the swings, North Belfast is the one exception for Sinn Féin, up more than 5%, the only constituency where there was a swing to the party. What did John Fanukin do right and his team in North Belfast that the other Sinn Féin campaigns around Northern Ireland seemed to get wrong? Yeah, I think, I think it's really important that Sinn Féin study this election because, you know, 18 constituencies there, one of them went in the right direction for him. Now, saying that when a party gets returned with seven seats, the same number of seats that they had beforehand, it's not really a bad election. But parties cannot afford to be complacent. They can't afford to engage in any degree of delusional thinking. And when you're dropping votes across the North, mm-hmm. uh, percentage share of votes that they did everywhere except North Belfast, then they have to look long and hard at what went right for them in North Belfast. And I think it was very clear what went right in North Belfast. The messaging around John, everything about the Fanukin campaign was right from Sinn Féin's perspective. First of all, the candidate. The candidate is a dream candidate for the party in the sense that he is somebody who is able to comfortably perhaps make a pitch, if not gain support, but certainly make a pitch across the breadth of both nationalism, but also into that progressive middle ground in an election that was going to be defined by tactical voting. He was able to do that because of a number of reasons. He's a new generation politician from Sinn Féin's end. In other words, that's code for post-troubles. But in addition to that, he's a young professional, a prominent enough solicitor, representing people who are known to call Frampton within the city. He's also a a celebrated sports figure. He's played for County Antrim. And he's extremely articulate. And when you have all of those, and of course he's benefited from the party's perspective that he also served a period of time, about six, seven months, was it, as mayor of Belfast. And he used that very effectively to proactively showcase how he could be a, a politician that would be comfortable you know, crossing the spectrum politically and, and, and reaching out. I think one of his first acts as Lord Mayor was to meet a member of the royal family. Not the first, but just showing once again that Sinn Féin Lord Mayors are comfortable in outreaching around uh, remembrance in November. And I think that's very important from where he was coming from. The campaign, if you also noted, and I know, David, you live in North Belfast, the, the colour Sinn Féin used, I think, was purple and white. Yep. The messaging was, was very consistent with the messaging that Alliance used and also that I think Claire Hanna and Colm East would use, focusing on the positive, focusing on hope, focusing, you know, moving away uh, from just focusing on what divides us. I think there's a lesson in that for every party in this, where we are right now, a couple of weeks out of 2020. Alliance won the hat-trick of elections in 2019 in terms of they were, the ones who, they were the ones who came out of each of the elections, whether it was the locals, the Euros, or the Westminster election, with the most reason to be happy. And again, they were offering a message which said, it doesn't have to be this way. We need to be promising. We need to be working for t- something better. John Finucane had that message in the distinct North Belfast 
constituency for this campaign, and John Finucane was rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. And I think therein, therein lies something that Sinn Féin will take notice of. Not only Sinn Féin, all of the parties will. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think there was, there was nothing, even in his acceptance speech, he was very careful with what, what he said. He didn't rub it in unionist faces that Nigel Dodds had been lost. He didn't mention the fact that unionism had lost another seat in the, in the city. Um, he, he left that unsaid, and he focused on the fact that uh, he had won and it was about Remain and so on. And, mm-hmm. and that in itself um, shows a wee bit of leadership. It also shows a wee bit of tact. And I think, um, uh, as Chris would say, Sinn Féin could look at that and some of the other parties could also look at their messaging and their tone and, and figure out actually what works and what doesn't. It wasn't a good night for Sinn Féin overall. I mean, um, 6.7% kind of vote share down from the last election. Um, if you look in West Belfast, you know, kind of a big drop in vote. You know, they're not going to lose the seat any time in the next kind of century. But their fingers off the ball and they're not getting their vote out in those safe seats. That was the same with the DUP in some safe seats as well. You know, so turnout was actually down in Northern Ireland, despite the fact That's we true. talk about the fact there was a very high turnout. That high turnout was differential. It was only in places where it was a tight race. Everywhere else, people were kind of quite, ah, the standard person is going to get in, I don't need to come out. And it would tend to be the voters for the person in the lead who didn't come out, leaving the alliance to kind of shoot up, um, generally to be in second place in a lot of places. So it, it's quite a, it's an intriguing election. It's probably a very special one. We'll never have one quite like it again for those particular reasons. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot to be learned. The electoral register, I think it was the highest it's ever been. Okay. And the number of people who went out of their way to get on the register fed into the belief that we could have seen, that, that we were going to see a very sizable turnout. 60, didn't. 62%, yeah. you know, didn't. nothing special. Even, didn't even in North Belfast, it was up less than their percentage point uh, in North Belfast. Yeah. So let's talk about somewhere where, I don't know how else other than to, to describe it, rather than a, other than a collapse in their vote. Let's go up to the northwest, up to Foyle. Chris, 19% down. No one saw that coming. 17,000 vote defeat. Leisha McCallion under 10,000 votes. Very gracious in defeat, I have to point out as well, for the defeat she got. What went wrong in Derry? There's no other way to look at it. It was a phenomenal result for Colin Eastwood and the SDLP. I think it vindicated. It's, been, it's his finest moment was this entire campaign. Colin Eastwood, you know, we say from Sinn Féin's perspective, John Finucane was the one that got everything right from Sinn Féin's perspective. He was the one bright light. Other than, I, I do think, I, I do think it, Chris Hazard holding on to South Down in the end is underappreciated mm-hmm. because the tide went out in a sense for Sinn Féin in this election, yet he held, Leisha McCallion couldn't and Foyle. And I think the reason there is very clear, you know, Foyle would be a strong SDLP constituency. It has been held from John Hume and then Mark Durkin from 1983. When Alicia McCallion took it two years ago, I think that was anomalous. I think that was still kickback that Sinn Féin were benefiting from, from the collapse of the institutions, from Martin McGuinness, you know, just having passed away, and Sinn Féin, you know, the response with the nationalism to the RHI and Arlene Foster. But I think that if you look at Sinn Féin in Derry, the writing was on the wall. Only six months ago at the local elections, yeah. they received a bit of a drubbing. And I think if you look in contrast, Colm Eastwood called this one right. Even, this, even the idea where he pulled out of North Belfast, the way that he did that, he owned that decision. He owned it in the sense that he's, well, he's, he gave that? the reasons why he was doing it. It actually propelled Claire Hanna as the clear favourite yeah. and helped her build a momentum in South Belfast. And when he went on television, he wasn't apologetic. He said, look, there are reasons why we are doing it. He even came up, coined that phrase about John Finucane sitting at home is better than Nigel Dodd sitting in the House of Commons. Again, the messaging from Colin Eastwood 
to not just, I think, not just to the SDLP core vote, but also to that progressive swathe of voters is, listen, you know, we need someone in Westminster. And, and really, I think that that, there, you know, any successful political parties in the way that Sinn Féin and the DUP have been over the last number of years are coalitions. Yes, they have their core support, but they've also managed to supplement their core support with voters who wouldn't traditionally maybe have voted them mm-hmm. in the past. What Colin Eastwood did was strip, peel that away back to the SDLP. And really, I think the, the primary issue was around abstentionism, of arguing, listen, Sinn Féin probably on some votes could have made a difference. They could have raised their voices in the Commons. And whereas that, you know, that's not going to really sway traditional Republican voters, it is going to make a difference to a very significant uh, cohort of voters in FOIL and in other parts of the North where people would have in the past voted for SDLP or other parties. And also, I think he also fed into the position, you know, fed into that narrative that Sinn Féin are, are to blame alongside the DUP for the fact of the institutions to collapse. And I know Sinn Féin would fiercely resist that argument and would be critical of, of the SDLP, not, you know, public, you know, the SDLP are, 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 are being a bit cute there because they, they have mm-hmm. adopted the same line, particularly over the Irish language act and other issues but at the sense you know all's fair and war and and and, and, and politics and you know colonies would use that very effectively i think in foil right column had a majority of seventeen thousand, over seventeen thousand. that's more than claire hannah had as a majority so i mean it, it's a a really good result um it is in the context though and it, it's, it's more than three times the vote of alicia so that that's i mean it, that was a real loss a, a disaster for them um it, we should remember, though, that it was only a few years ago that the SDLP had three MPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a sense, they're clawing back in, in, in a really good victory. But actually, they are still behind where they were. And there's still a long way to go. But, and and we, kind of, we remember the UUP were very happy, cock-a-hoop, to have two MPs. And actually, it's a difficult sometimes to hold on to them. So they have a lot of work to do. But Colm does seem set. It, and he seems to have a good mindset at the moment. And he should be at the top of his game and kind of continue there. How big a mistake was it for Margaret to go to the Lords when she did, if she had maybe ran again in South Down, do you think potentially she could have had a, the SDLP maybe could have, could have, maybe narrowly, uh, taken back South Down? Well, I think when you look at it from the SDLP's perspective, they have been, after 2017, they were wiped out at Westminster level. Organisationally, I think it did suit the SDLP to be able to concentrate on two constituencies this time round. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know, I do think perhaps if they ran a higher profile candidate in South Down, it might have been even closer. Mm-hmm. But I do give credit to Chris Hazard there. Yeah. I do think that in a sense, Chris Hazard was able to do something and Alicia McCallion couldn't. And that was to, you know, his, his pitch is much broader. Because he has greater that- appeal across a constituency. And let's not forget, South Down has been, you know, even less fertile ground for Sinn Féin than FOIL has yeah. been in the past. It was always the worst. In terms of you look at the relationship between Sinn Féin and the SDLP, the SDLP have always have a dominance in South Down that, that, that they didn't have necessarily over Sinn Féin and FOIL. So for Chris Hazard to do what he's been able to do there, I think it is more in his favour, uh, less, less so just taken away from the SDLP. So in the count, you know, I was talking to Chris relatively early in the night and he, he was kind of quietly confident, but actually as the night went on, he realised 
realise it was getting closer. Um, but I mean, the tallies were ahead, and he was kind of safe. But he knows that actually the SDLP did much better than he expected, um, and he knows. But he looks ministerial. He has a kind of a confidence about him without an arrogance. He's a good candidate. Um, so, but I think Margaret Ritchie would have come a lot, lot closer because I think actually the SDLP vote would have come out for her um, uh, rather than a candidate who was chair of the party but not actually that well known on the ground. Probably was going to find it a lot harder to get um, kind of unionist votes that were always rumours that um, kind of unionists were being encouraged to kind of mm-hmm. vote for him because he was um, anti-abortion and so on. But um, South Down, yeah, that one could change hands in the future quite easily. But it's a really kind of spread out, sprawling kind of yeah, constituency. Huge. So it's hard to do a kind of an urban um, walk around all the doors. You can do that yeah. in Foyle, you can do that in Belfast. Yeah. And part of the difficulty, of course, for Sinn Féin is Chris Hazard's not going to be in the Assembly. So if you know if if they were going to be able to utilize him more effectively, you would have thought it would have been as a minister, perhaps in a future executive. That's not going to be an option. Yeah. They're going to have to find it. And also, it's the same. It's the same for John Finucane. You know, John Finucane mm-hmm. was somebody who people had, you know, almost of a mind to say this could be the first Sinn Féin justice minister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not going to happen now because yeah. they can't move them out of North Belfast. They're not, it's going to be very difficult to get somebody. You know, if you went to a by-election, very yeah. difficult to win that because it was a, it was the you know the unique circumstances yeah. of this election which allowed them to really seize it from Nigel Dodds. And obviously, it wasn't just a difficult night for Sinn Féin; it was also a difficult night for the Democratic Unionist Party too. Uh, again, decent swing away from there was a swing away from them in every single constituency that they stood. Um, loss of their deputy leader, a much bigger blowout of a of a defeat in South Belfast, and missing out on the on on what was seemed seemed like a sure thing in North Down. Uh, Alan, I'll go to you first on this. What should the DUP be taking away from this election? I think it should be looking at their messaging. I think they should be picking up some of the same stuff we've talked about in terms of what are you positively saying and who are you attacking. Um, uh, there has been a bit of a kind of a rebalancing in a sense between uh, within unionism over the last while, um, and the DUP are not coming out of that particularly well. Um, votes are going straight from the DUP to Alliance. Now that's unthinkable. There isn't a bit of political science that explains what goes on inside somebody's head to do that. But it's those kind of weaker people who aren't part of the core vote who have been giving the DUP their vote have decided no actually their vote deserves to go somewhere else uh, and they're kind of skipping over the UUP they're going straight to Alliance and that's kind of going up I mean losing 5.5% of their share was not a good night keeping Gavin Robinson has probably kept um, Arling Foster in, uh, in post as leader of the party that would have been the final straw. He's he's their version of Chris Hazard, in effect. He is, and he but got he in by, <laughs> and it's nearly the same margin as about two thousand votes. He he stayed, and Naomi got close, and I think that was kind of quite a stretch to get that close. Um, I don't think we were expecting it to be that yeah, close. Yeah, it was f- f- four points in it. Um, at but the there are other places, Lagan Valley, where where I live. You know, kind of Jeffrey Donaldson's vote has kind of gone down, um, and uh, Sorcia Eastwood from Alliance has gone kind of up, uh, and that's about. I think some of the core not coming out or some of the kind of hangers-on not coming out and giving the support, thinking that he's safe. Um, and actually, that's going to worry them. That, that's going to make it quite competitive the next time, just in case somebody could actually get just a little bit closer or he could be damaged and come down. I think that was remarkable, the number of constituencies where the Alliance vote rocketed up and you actually see that, that there's a danger for DUP MPs in future. I think mm-hmm. Jeffrey Donaldson's one. And I do think the point needs to be made. Gavin Robinson has been somebody who has, I think, deliberately positioned himself as a, in terms of a, a moderate yeah. enough version, you know, voice within the party. That stood him in good stead this election in terms of East Belfast. And I think that had he adopted a different profile, he could have been in trouble too, which is a remarkable thing to say about East Belfast. Because, OK, it was lost by Peter Robinson 
2010, but that was a, that was a very strange election and the, the circumstances mm -hmm. that were pertaining to the DUP and the Robinsons at that time were pretty unique. And yes, of course, uh, Naomi, Naomi's run them close since then. I didn't think it was going to be as close yeah. this time. She actually got her best percentage share of the vote, 45%. Um, yeah. So. Also, if you look at the Alliance of Vote, I think it's interesting to see that they beat the UUP nearly everywhere. Robin mm -hmm. Swan's one of the few who actually in North Antrim, you know, pulled above them. You know, not only are Alliance um, in third place, but they're actually well in third place. You know, they're really pushing down. And in terms of assembly seats, if we were to look forward to next year, uh, if, if we have a, an assembly election in 2020, you know, that's not good news for the UUP because they just don't have strength and they're beginning to lose their quotas. I don't actually think it's good news, particularly I think for Sinn Féin or the DUP either, which is why I think it, it'll actually it'll act as an incentive towards getting towards a deal mm -hmm. uh, and within the early part of mm -hmm. 2020. I also think that the DUP have to come out of this election. You know, th there were votes lost to unionism as a whole. You know, if you look at within nationalism, Yes, undoubtedly, many people who would have voted Sinn Féin also transferred, just transferred directly to Alliance, just like happened from the DUP. But the SDLP also benefited mm -hmm. from Sinn Féin. So there's a sense that there is an alternative voice within nationalism that is capable of articulating a distinct position. That doesn't appear to be the case anymore within unionism. Yeah. It's straight from the DUP yeah. over to Alliance. And that's a difficulty, I think, that those who are seeking to advocate a union, pro-union vision are going to have to address and ultimately that's going to have to be for the yeah. DUP. I mean, how they're going to do that because they have, they have, you know, this campaign in many constituencies, the key constituencies where they thought they needed to win, North Belfast, South Belfast, it was a loathing and fear strategy. They thought the traditional lambeg drum-beating approach was going to get people out. It didn't. Not only did it not do that, it turned enough people who were pro, clearly still pro-union voters straight from DUP to Alliance. Mm -hmm. Now, they have to learn a lesson from yeah. that. And it has to be about the entire approach towards politics in the north of Ireland mm -hmm. moving forward. And in some constituencies, if you look at the numbers in close races in South Belfast, it actually went to Clarehanna in some, some respects. Yes. Moderate unionism went to Clarehanna and in North Belfast to Nuna McAllister, whose vote was up. That's like going from fourth gear into first. That's a move you don't get taught. Um, and I think if you look at the UUP vote was slightly up in terms of share. So, so there, there is, Steve um, does have a few things that he can see if he can, can kind of hold on to in terms of there were some successes, but actually he needs to make a big choice. He needs to kind of decide what the party's about. Is it about Tom Elliott or is it about Mike Nesbitt? Because those are kind of the two different voices within the party at the moment. And on each show he cannot keep both and he needs to decide whether the party wants to swing one way or the other and I think we're going to have to see something in there otherwise they really are finished. What does it, because when I was going through the numbers last night and looked at the different constituencies how important is candidate selection because where I looked where the SDLP did really well outside of Foyle and South Belfast places like Fermanagh South Throne they were up Adam Gannon young candidate Pete Byrne up young candidate Cara Hunter put SDLP into second place in East in East London Derry, up 5% of the vote there, uh, and vice versa for Alliance, where they were running younger candidates. Is that maybe something to take from this? Is it a sense of younger, fresher candidates doing better, or is there is that maybe just overthinking it? I th well, I think you never underestimate the importance of getting the candidate right. But at the same time, when the tide's in, it's in. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that in the past. Even if you look back to the local elections, uh, I remember, I think it was Naomi Long, talking about how their candidate in Derry 
was only in the party a number of weeks and ended up gets elected. Mm-hmm. She tweeted when, her, yeah. Yeah. So when there are when there are people in an area feeling agitated, the name on the ballot paper will be will be enough. Now, obviously, if you have a proper, you know, if you have a candidate who's going to run a proper campaign, who's going to be there to take it forward beyond the election, to grow the vote, to articulate the party message, then I think that's crucial, particularly when you're at the business end of it, when you're trying to grow the party in order to get maybe from, from just being a, you know, a name in, in one of these constituencies to be actually targeting an assembly seat, which is what ends up being the case. I mean, the crucial thing from this election, what all of the parties will be looking at is, what would be the implication if we did have an assembly election? Now, looking at it, looking at the bald figures, it's bad news immediately for Sinn Féin. And which is why I think they're going to be looking, studying those figures very closely to see what they need to do. It's not particularly... I mean, I think if we look at the last assembly election, we saw a better growth from Sinn Féin, the SDLP, but also Alliance eating into unionism. We also saw that at the local election six months ago. What these figures from this election show is that Alliance is now encroaching into nationalist areas in a way that would lead to, I think, seats. If, if this result was replicated, seats in the likes of North Belfast, South Down, West Tyrone, that would go straight from Sinn Féin or the SDLP to Alliance. And that shows you again that Alliance are growing their own position to being something that is comfortable where people would feel comfortable from a nationalist pro-unity perspective saying, no, we like their messaging, we like where they stand, particularly at a time of deadlock, and I think that's the key thing that Sinn Féin and the DUP are going to take. We need to move back. We need to find a way of resolving this issue. The difficulty for that's going to be there's no other way to say it other than the DUP moving really on the Irish language. And there's there's a job of work for Arlene Foster to to and those around her to sell that within unionism within the, within the base. But after that. The, 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 the dividend that I, they would probably see themselves being in a position to reap would be that perhaps they could claw back both the Sinn Féin's end and the DUP and claw back some of the electoral support that they seem to have lost. Mm-hmm. Alan, what do you think about that in terms of candidates who did well and as opposed to those who didn't? I, th- I think um, candidates who have a good track record um, work, um, but they need to look like they've actually done some work. They need to look like they have consistently had good language, good tone. Um, I think candidates who did particularly badly, even for some of the successful parties, um, are, are ones who just, they don't, they kind of sound too arrogant or they sound a little bit too harsh um, or they sound like they're um, kind of lying in terms of, um, there's an awful lot of stuff. Um, if the phrase um, kind of two horse race, um, um, that, that just kind of turns me off entirely, but I've heard it every, nearly every consistency um, over, over the last few weeks. And th- those kind of, it's just kind of tone deaf. It doesn't actually kind of reach people, and it kind of there's a sense of entitlement that I'm one of the horses in this race. So it's not about being positive and it's being negative, and you get punished. I think at the poll by people staying away or people just discovering there's somebody shiny over there, and they kind of off they go and give them their vote. Um, we're very good at tactical voting in Northern Ireland. We, it, it seems to get taught in primary school. You know, we, we don't have to particularly. You don't have to go around the doors to tell people that, that tactical voting might be important. Um, but that also means that we're not very sticky some of the time and that we, we do seem to be able to kind of it'd be interesting really to track people to see kind of how many different parties they've voted for in the last kind of 10 or 20 years. Because I think we might find that some of them have been through maybe three rather than even just two. They're not making their, their first kind of change at this point in a lifetime of voting. They're making maybe their second um, and they might continue to do that and they might go back. So there is an opportunity for Sinn Féin and the DUP. Their, their day is not over, no. but actually there is yeah. a middle ground right. that can attract people at the moment. We're seeing Belfast City Council. If you think of you know, Belfast City Council, 80s, 90s, it was still around the five main parties, nearly had every seat. 
sewn up. You had a couple of independent, kind of yeah. erratic unitist uh, candidates, <laughs> colourful figures. Dome of read Dome of Delight. You'll be introduced oh, to some of them going back. To, but as you know, as that's moved towards uh, really, a, you know, a non-unionist majority in Belfast, and Belfast has become visibly seen as a more inclusive, progressive city in a political sense, the, the profile, the political profile, the electoral profile of the city council has just completely broadened. Mm-hmm. Where you're going to have people before profit, Green Party, uh, as well as the five main political parties. I don't, see, I don't see that changing. And I think that what we're seeing in this election is that that's starting to move out more and more uh, to the constituencies right across the north. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge to, you know, it poses a real challenge to the established parties because obviously they're, what, what, they're, what they're about is maintaining their own political electoral mm-hmm. supremacy. Well, if we look forward, I mean, and again, it's always health warnings, caveats, first past the post, you can't just take direct transitions. But if it was, you're talking about if we extrapolate, uh, Peter Donaghy on Slugger did this. If you tab it up, there would be around 20 MLAs in the United Community designation in the Assembly. Alan, what impact could that have for a future if for a future of devolution, like things like petition of concern, voting designations, if you've got 20 MLAs outside of the Unis and National Well, I mean, 20 out of 90 is a really significant number. Um, and it starts to say that there's a moral imperative that actually petition of concern either has to be got rid of, reformed or not abused. And you can do that with a protocol, you can do that with changing legislation, you can do that with... There, there are different ways of tackling that. But it starts to mean that the, the DUP and Sinn Féin, effectively, if they use it, um, start to look like bullies. Um, and they could expect to get punished by the voters for that. Um, and certainly get... Po- punished in the airwaves before there's a vote. So in a sense, it's a healthy thing. I think there's a bit of an irony that actually Northern Ireland, we're kind of seeing a united community or kind of a middle ground growing right at the time that we're also talking about unity. We're talking about, um, will there be a kind of a border referendum at some point, which would steer you back to thinking that we'll go kind of back into our traditional silos of being for this or against this. But actually, maybe um, we have an opportunity for maybe five years to have a little bit more of an intelligent conversation about policy and a bit of an intelligent conversation about the things that matter, education, health, Mm-hmm. welfare and so on, rather than just being kind of doing the dog whistle politics of, um, are you for me or are you against him? You know, um, we, we need to kind of change, but I, I do suspect that this moment may not last forever, but so it needs to kind of, it needs to work properly. We can't afford to have another NI21 moment of somebody throws a kind of a hope hand grenade in and it just explodes uh, and goes away. We, we actually need it to work. And so we could do with the Assembly back to prove that that kind of politics, so-called progressive politics actually works. Otherwise, it's just a paper exercise. It's very possible that we could have another election in the next couple of years where Sinn Féin and the DUP regain a degree of the electoral support that they have lost. But the fact that this happened still indicates that voters will be willing to be more mobile. I think that's crucial. I think that points to something that I wrote in an article in Slugger over the weekend. I think one of the lessons from this campaign is that dogma has diminishing currency. I think that's something particularly acute within nationalism. I think there is a discussion now. It's going to be had. I think it's going to taper off degree around abstentionism because of particular circumstances which pertained within Westminster from 2017 to 2019, where the votes of MPs from the North of Ireland actually could have mattered. That's clearly not going to be the, the case in the years forward. Yeah. But at the same time, the point is people, you know, to a degree, people were restless around an issue that perhaps were more relaxed than those traditional, uh, those who traditionally would adopt a certain line would have believed. So I think that there is, there is a place there for people to question uh, perspectives from the past, particularly 
as people are moving forward towards the idea of working towards within the nationalist side of the fence, Towards uh, towards Irish unity, not a border poll immediately, but in the sense of mm-hmm. having the likes of the Citizens Assembly, that's going to welcome other voices. That's not going to have a pre you know pre agreed script. That's going to be pretty much going to be an open canvas to explore ideas and perhaps to visit uh, visit 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 accepted uh, you know sacred cows that were there in the past. That maybe people will be happy to re- look at again and say, look, the time has come to maybe look at that again. So looking forward to 2020, um, how likely are we to see a First Minister, Deputy First Minister and Stormont back up and running? I'm normally quite positive about the fact that the Executive and the Assembly can get up and running quite quickly. Um, however, I was quite positive two years ago and I've been um, slowly regretting that positivity. Um, some, if somebody listens back to Good Morning Ulster, they're going to um, realise I was a fool. Um, but there, there is something about it, I think, at the moment. Where there's a bit of a perfect storm going on at the moment. Um, Boris Johnson badly needs the union to work from his point of view. He needs Scot- an alternative to Scotland wanting to break away. He needs uh, Northern Ireland as a devolved assembly to kind of look like it's actually not, not uh, yet doing a Scotland in, in, in its own way. And I think we have the likes of the health crisis that kind of, it came to, it's been there for years, but actually it kind of came to the public consciousness during the campaign. That, along with education, along with welfare mitigations over the next couple of months, th- there's a kind of a, there's a package there that you could go to the Treasury and say, we need half a billion pounds, please, um, and we'll all go back. So there, there's a kind of a political opportunity. Um, quite sad that we might be doing something around waiting lists and people's pay um, to make political capital, but that's maybe just the reality of politics. And I think we also have the DUP and Sinn Féin really not wanting to have an Assembly election. Now, the, th- the kind of middle of January deadline that the Secretary of State sets, that's, I guess that's when this, oh, the, the kind of current um, system kind of collapses again and we go back for elections he could at least call an election for kind of like eight, eight weeks time I'm not sure whether if he calls an election he can cancel it but I'm sure there's legislative possibilities all over the place but I think we will have quite serious talks and um, I think the danger would be as Brian Rowan's been pointing out the danger is if we just have the two big parties making the decisions and making the deal that's probably a bit of a sticking plaster and that's not enough we actually need something that deals with some of the sores and the hurts that are on so we're going to have to deal with legacy properly we're going to have to deal with Irish language and culture and so on. We're going to have to deal with petition of concern um, and actually get ourselves into a place where we're sustainable. That That's a bigger package than just two parties can agree. Um, uh, but if, in a sense, it's in all their interests to go back, um, though the smaller three parties would probably like an election. But on the other hand, they don't really want to go around the doors. So they might kind of say, let's go for a few years and see what happens. I can't see there being a sticking plaster deal because... Uh, I just think there's too much that needs to be got right before we get back to an executive. So I do think it's going to take a bit of time. But, you know, the indicators do point to this time um, there being a degree of seriousness. And I think that particularly from the DUP's perspective, alarm bells have to be ringing about this election. When you lose North and South Belfast, when you can't get across the line in North Down, when you see votes being shipped from political unionism, uh, and also, if you look selfishly, there's nobody seems to be moving against Arlene Foster. This really is that this does present her with one last opportunity. Then, because if she yeah. was able to seal a deal, she probably would come through whatever's going to come under the RHI report. Because the more important, you know, from Sinn Fein's perspective, they'll not lose any sleep about Arlene Foster still being at the helm of unionism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do. A button of harm for nationalism to, to have Arlene, Arlene's no, no, reputation is toxic. You know. uh. Well, precisely. So, but from her own legacy perspective, I think getting a deal done 
would be a positive, certainly a positive yeah. thing for Arlene Foster. Okay. Last thing, and we always ask this on our last shows of the year, looking ahead to 2020, what do you think? Now, this time last year, mm-hmm. our panel said that John Finucane was going to be the politician to watch out for for 2019. It turns yes. out that, that wasn't too far wrong. Uh, what do you think, looking ahead 2020, what, what political moments could develop from there? I think it's really hard at this stage because we're just out of an election and we're not quite sure what a Boris Johnson a kind of majority government looks like. Um, I, I suspect that some of our local politicians, on some of those who have just been elected and some who are older, um, in the tooth will actually probably make some interesting speeches in the House of Parliament. I still think for a while Parliament will be the place where a lot of debate is happening and I kind of wonder whether or not kind of the Conservative MPs are going to be as easy to um, kind of um, get a sheepdog to kind of get them into the pen and and out again whether or not they will start to realise there's enough of them to um, be able to push the Prime Minister around a wee bit. So I I suppose I want to watch um, Boris Johnson and see whether or not he gets away with what he thinks he's going to get away with and also whether there's some things. We've got an Irish election coming up um, that could be fascinating in terms of a reshaping on the island um, and changing just the the dynamic and that affects the north as well as the south Um, so I I think in a sense elections talks and perhaps just how powerful or not Boris Johnson turns out to be um, are are things that I would want to watch. One of the interesting things and Alan's alluded to we are moving towards a Doyle election it will be intriguing to see if Radcliffe can get returned. Those by-elections in November did not augur well for Fine Gael. Michal Martin smells blood. He was out over the weekend uh, calling for uh, the Taoiseach to commit to a time, for, you know, a date for the election. And again, you know, the, 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 almost a confidence supply deal that's been done between Fine Gael and Fine Gael, they won't want that again. The difficulty they're going to have is if Sinn Féin are returned with anything approaching the same numbers that they had, it very well might be the case that one of them is going to have to come to Mary Lou Macdonald and come to some form of arrangement because it still does look like Sinn Féin is in line to be the third largest mm-hmm. party. And if the parties below them fall the way that they did the last time, we could see that would be a very historic moment. That Even if it's not in coalition, it's, if there's some form of deal reached that has Sinn Féin having some role in the formation of the Irish government, that's going to be very significant. I'd also say one other interesting thing at the weekend was a, a Finnefoil TD coming out in favour of the Citizens' Assembly notion for the discussion around the constitutional future of Ireland. It's something that I mean, my, myself involved in the Ireland's Future Group have been calling for and other people who want to, who want to have, you know, particularly with the Brexit backdrop to everything happening, I think now is the time to have a discussion mm-hmm. around what planning for Irish unity could actually look like. That's significant now that you're hearing mainstream voices, both in the Irish Mm -hmm. media in Dublin saying it, and also now politicians outside of Sinn Féin are actually saying, we'd like to have the discussion in a format that the Irish government would be seen to take control of, as opposed to being, you know, almost excluded to the margins where, where so many of them would view Sinn Féin. Okay, thank you very much for a fascinating um, talk about the election. Look forward to see what happens in 2020. Thank you so very much for tuning in to Slugger TV. We'll be back in the new year in 2020. In the meantime, you can keep up to date with all the updates on sluggerotool.com. From all of us at the website, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs>